welcome to rhetoric Orama, a podcast about all things rhetoric. Here are your hosts, Dr. David R. Dewberry and Dr. Tim, as seen on TV, McGee. I'm Dave. And I'm Tim. And today we continue our second season of rhetoric Orama by discussing the wonderful world of rhetoric. Today's topic is the power and the mystery of Taoist rhetoric. But first, let's hear some untranslated Latin or Greek to get us started. Dao kadao. Fei Chong Dao, Ming Kaming, Fei Chong Ming. Tim, that doesn't sound like uh, Latin or Greek to me. That's because it's Chinese, Dave. You know, uh, Tim, many of our listeners uh, are familiar with the expression, it's all Greek to me. But uh, here's something interesting. The Greeks actually say it's all Chinese to me because, of course, they understand the Greek. So, uh, uh, yeah, the Greeks say it's all Chinese to me when confronted with something unintelligible, uh, and that little nugget's tasty, but I think we got some more for him today. Tim, what is Taoist rhetoric? The Taoist rhetoric that can be explained is not the eternal Taoist rhetoric. Uh, Tim, our listeners expect uh, you to make a little more sense than that. By the end of the podcast, they might see the light. All right, so uh, let's back up for one second. So how come you say Taoist with a D? but it's spelt Taoist with a T. Good question, Dave. And it actually gets to the heart of one of the challenges of explaining Taoist rhetoric. Lay it on me. The word Taoism is a transliteration of a Chinese character into our Latin alphabet. Europeans have been creating Romanizations for ages, starting with the Jesuit missionaries in the 16th century and continuing until 1943, when a Yale Sinologist created a system to teach Chinese to American soldiers, which was then replaced during the Cold War by the Chinese government's creation of Pinyin. That's why what we now call Beijing was once called Beiping, and before that, Peking. All are simply approximations attempting to represent in one writing system the sounds of language usually written in a different system. So basically, basically what you're saying is that Taoism is a better approximation of the sound of Chinese than Taoism. Exactly. Nice. Okay. So back to that all uh, that whole nonsense about Taoist rhetoric that can be explained not being the eternal Taoist rhetoric. Right. So what you are calling nonsense, someone else might call a paradox. I still don't know why we're talking about two golden retrievers, but go ahead and tell me about it. Dave, you're probably, probably familiar with the Cretan paradox. Yeah, Tim, I'm a free speech guy through and through, but I don't believe that we're uh, allowed to use that word anymore. Uh, I'm referring to Cretan with an A, not Cretan with an I. Cretan as uh, in a person from the island of Crete. Oh, okay, okay. So I think I, I think we understand. So, so yeah, there was a philosopher from Crete named, uh, named Epimenides who said all Cretans are liars. So the paradox involves trying to figure out if it was possible that Epimenides spoke the truth. Precisely. So that's an early example of what eventually gets labeled by philosophers as the paradox of self-reference. Bertrand Russell summed it up by saying, self-referential statements tend toward the paradoxical. So you're saying that um, the Taoist rhetoric is paradoxical because it's self-referential, or are you saying that it's self-referential because it's paradoxical? You're way ahead of me, Dave. Let's start with the first line of the Tao Te Ching. You know, that whole thing's uh, Chinese to me, Tim. Okay, but this time in translation. The Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao, 
the name that can be named is not the eternal name. That sounds like, uh, to me, some about that claim about the Tao being ineffable. Uh, too difficult or too extreme to explain in words. Excellent observation, Grasshopper. Mm. So, Tim, is ineffability per se grounds for a claim to paradox? And I got I got to be honest with you. I got to ask that question again <laughs> to make sure I understand it. So, are you saying that ineffability is grounds for a claim to paradox? No, but ineffable rhetoric or a rhetoric of ineffability might get you there. Okay, I got you. So uh, do you have any more examples of this ineffability? Plenty. Let's look at chapter two, where it says, the master teaches without saying anything. (laughs) Tim, that sounds a lot like online (laughs) teaching nowadays, but uh, what else does this say? How about chapter three, where we find the following? The master creates confusion in those who think that they know. That sounds, uh, that sounds like Socrates, right? But it's, Socrates isn't paradoxical. Um, I mean, I do remember there was that, uh, uh, what is it, that book by Gregory Vlastos? I think it was, what, Socrates, Ironist, and Moral Philosopher, right? Was that it? That's it. I think, uh, yeah, I think you gave it to me for a cheeseburger last year. <laughs> that sounds right. Excellent memory, Grasshopper. What about this one from chapter 19, where the Tao Te Ching recommends, throw away morality and justice, and people will do the right thing. It sounds like you just threw away the uh, threw homiletics right into the dumpster like so many used cheeseburger wrappers. Listen to this one. Chapter 30 describes the master this way. Because he believes in himself, he doesn't try to convince others. Well, that doesn't sound paradoxical. That's not paradoxical to me, but it would seem to indicate that the master is no rhetor. And a possible corollary might be that the rhetor is no master. I don't know if I like the sound of that, right? That's not good. Speaking of sounds, chapter 35 says this about the Tao. When you listen for it, there is nothing to hear. You know, the more the more I'm hearing about this, <laughs> the, the less I like it. Then you may not like chapter 43, which says this. Teaching without words, performing without actions, that is the master's way. Or how about chapter 47, where the Tao Te Ching says, the more you know, the less you understand. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. That that about explains my, uh, or describes my knowledge of the Tao right about now. You're going to love chapter 56, where it says, Uh-oh. those who know don't talk, those who talk don't know. I, I don't like any of this, Tim. <laughs> so, this is not good for our profession. <laughs> so you say. As a professor, you might want to think about this one from chapter 65, which claims, <clears throat> the ancient masters didn't try to educate the people but kindly taught them not to know. Uh, that's that's, uh, that's going to be a big problem when it's time for students and their parents to pay tuition each semester with that kind of thinking. Chapter 71 might help where it says, not knowing is true knowledge. Or 72, which says that the master teaches without a teaching so that people will have nothing to learn. Tim, is there no end to this nonsense? Actually, the Tao ends with chapter 81, which begins as follows. True words aren't eloquent. Eloquent words aren't true. Wise men don't need to prove their point. Men who need to prove their point aren't wise. So so it turns out that the Tao Te Ching isn't really all that paradoxical, right? It just it's it actually sounds like it's the opposite of uh, Monroe's motivated sequence. 
And didn't we kind of hear this argument before in season two? Uh, what was I think it was episode five on Buddhist rhetoric? Indeed, we heard some similar things, but Buddhist rhetoric, but there are some significant differences. Do you remember what Buddhist rhetoric opposed? Uh, let's see, they opposed lying, uh, divisive speech, uh, abusive speech. Um, what is it? Speech that draws attention to itself, idle chatter, uh, which I think is why you mentioned that Buddhist rhetoricians won't make much of a living in uh, politics or law, right? Excellent memory, Grasshopper. Of those communicative practices that Buddhists disliked, the one that a Taoist would most oppose is the divisive speech, since Taoism holds non-contentiousness as one of its highest ideals. So it seems like they also had some uh, serious reservations about rationality as well. Well said, Dave. The Taoist would recommend that we go beyond reason in search of knowledge. So it sounds to me like they not only question reason, but they have doubts about the language itself. You, Dao Dave, are getting wiser by the minute. <laughs> you know, actually, I, I cribbed, or uh, I mean, I researched that uh, from Stephen Combs, who wrote in an article, uh, I think it was the, use, the useless and usefulness of argumentation. Um, and I think he writes in there, uh, what is it? I got it here. Uh, in fact, belief in the ability of reason to process information about the world or of language to represent the world is a barrier to sagacity, wise or good judgment. Right? So, Dave, all along you've been feigning ignorance of the Tao. Who's the grasshopper now, Tim? Huh? Does that bug you? <laughs> Tell me more, Master. It would seem, it would seem that the Taoists, the Taoists, raise serious doubts about the rightness or usefulness of Greco-Roman rhetoric that are deeper than those raised by the Buddhists. Go on. So those doubts could be summarized as four major objections to the traditional Greco-Roman notion of argument. Uh, and those would be that argument dichotomies, and you can take or leave that. Uh, argument violates the principles of wu-wei or effortless action, uh, and that reason cannot prove anything about the world uh, and that argument relies on language and that language is really unable to account fully for reality. Good arguments against argumentation. Pretty paradoxical as well. Is it really or is it just kind of uh, ironic? That's it. You win, I quit. But it's not a contest, so I can't win. Does that mean I can't quit? Uh, you can, but first, but first, Tim, explain if you can how throughout the Tao Te Ching by Lao Tzu, Lao Tzu, right? Mm -hmm. uh, can you justify using language to argue against argument? Well, if you can cheat by consulting scholarship, then I can too. So back to Combs, who claims that the fact that Lao Tzu and Zhuangzi use language to expound their views demonstrates that their admonitions about language are not to be taken as absolute indictments. He goes on to note that other scholars have pointed out that Lao Tzu uses metaphors to enliven qualities that society tends to devalue, such as vacuity, softness, weakness, and subordination, non-competition. Tim, I don't like to call you out on this, but that sounds like a dodge to me. Kind of like so many grasshoppers jumping out of the way of an 87 Buick Skylark on an I-80 in Nebraska. A story from 2004 I'll tell you about sometime. All right, then. Allow me to quote my favorite chapter of the Tao Te Ching, chapter 11. 
the one that extols the value of that which is not usually valued, which is absence. Thirty spokes share the wheel's hub. It is the center hole that makes it useful. Shape clay into a vessel. It is the space within that makes it useful. Cut doors and windows for a room. It is the holes which make it useful. Therefore, profit comes from what is there, usefulness from what is not there. Okay, Tim, you win. I quit. I'm done. <laughs> I can't win, but maybe it's time we both quit. I mean, given that we're at this point now, how do we know if we even started? Good one. <laughs> Good one. All right. So you ready for your challenge? I am. Okay. So Tim, here's your challenge. Tim, what is Taoist <laughs> rhetoric? <laughs> Good question. It turns out that in my effort to tell you what Taoist rhetoric is, I primarily told you what it is not. It does not dichotomize. It is against contentiousness. Um, it doesn't believe in logic will get you anywhere. It has some doubts about a language to represent reality. Consequently, when attempting to communicate something, it takes sort of more indirect routes, like the use of paradox, because it doesn't think that a logico-deductive argument is going to really get you there, but a paradox could sort of make you question what you previous believed. It would sort of rattle your cage a bit and get you to think more deeply about it. And I think that's what Taoist rhetoric is, is the use of indirect communications, non-confrontational ones, ones that don't dichotomize in order to get you to doubt your surety and think more deeply. Hmm. How is that for an example of Taoist rhetoric, what I just said? You like that? <laughs> that was very good. I like that. That was very good. All right. We good? Yeah. Yep. We're good. Now it's time for the bonus content. Will it be a fallacy, a historical anecdote, or rhetorical device? Let's have Dr. Tim spin the wheel. Oh, goody. A rhetorical device. Today's rhetorical device is the paradox. Again, according to Stephen C. Combs, paradox functions rhetorically by forcing the audience to confront inconsistency that is posed as consistent. Bend and you will be whole. Curl and you will be straight. Keep empty and you will be filled. Grow old and you will be renewed. The incongruity is meant to be uncomfortable, spurring insight by challenging habitual assumptions without expressing concrete conclusions. I like it, Tim. All right, so uh, who's uh, sponsoring this episode? Today is sponsored by the MBC degree for aspiring middle managers who hope to get a corner office. If you think an MBA degree is your only path to master the jargon that today's executives bandy about when talking shop, you are mistaken. Now you too can hit the ground running with the newly minted masters in business cliches. This accelerated program provides a win-win situation that lets you push the envelope and start thinking outside the box where you too can grab the low-hanging fruit without having to drink the Kool-Aid for a value-added and actionable paradigm shift. You can step up to the plate and put your ducks in a row the next time you run it up the flagpole in a situation where failure is not an option. Take it to the next level and put a pin in it where you get an MBC degree that's a Masters in Business Cliches where our door is always open, teamwork makes the dream work, and it is what it is. Uh, we should put that on one of those motivational posters with people kayaking, right? <laughs> All right, Tim, 
Uh, I'm David R. Dewberry, and that's Tim as seen on TV McGee. We're professors of communication at Ryder University, and this has been rhetoric rama a podcast about all things rhetoric. If you have any questions or are looking for more information, you can contact us via our website, rhetoric.fun, or consult your local library.